Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. copy God's Word, once you find the book of Galatians chapter 3, we are continuing our series through the book of Galatians, and I'm so glad that you made the decision to get here tonight. And I mean, I'm just fired up because we're going to look at some things tonight that if you can really grasp where we're headed in God's Word, I believe that it's going to give you some principles and some tools that are going to allow you to live a life where you can faithfully follow Christ and find freedom in him. Before we get to Galatians chapter 3, um, I told you all a little bit about my relationship with my wife a couple of weeks ago. And uh, man, when I, when I found my wife, man, I, like when I, I didn't know she was going to be a wife at, my time, at that time, but when I found this girl, man, I, I threw more game in her than a Nintendo, all right? I was like, like, let, like you're into coffee? I'm a, I like coffee. And, and when like, I, was, I was doing all this stuff, I was conversing with her. We were laughing. We were putting on luchador masks together. See message a couple weeks ago. We were having a lot of fun, just in love, and it was awesome. And I I just, I just was so excited in our relationship. It's really been marked by just playful, conversating, serving in the church together, and all of these things. One of the things that we did like back in the day when we were just kind of trying to figure out if this was going to be a real relationship, we were on our way to engagement. Um, we would call each other and leave like cheesy pickup lines on our voicemail. And so it'd be like, hey, this is Chad. <laughs> Sorry I missed you, but if you were a booger, I'd pick you first. <laughs> you know, things like that, really bad things. And, and we would also, uh, just to keep it spiritual because we're in church, uh, we would quote Bible verses on our voicemail as well. And uh, so we did those sort of things and and really, that's marked our relationship. Now, we are coming up on uh, 15 years of marriage. Holler at your boy, all right? Yeah, let's go. That's a decade and a half, y'all. That's a big deal. And uh, in our relationship, it was built on flirting. It was built on conversing and enjoying one another. And again, after we've been married for almost 15 years now, um, here's what you need to know. There's this tendency for, for things that, that you started the relationship with to kind of change in the relationship. Like there's this tendency for you to kind of grow away from some of those things that you once did in the beginning. And, and a lot of people will say, well, that's just, you know, that's just, a, that's just what happens. You know, a lot, of, a lot of old married couples say, well, we're mature in our love. I would say, well, you're mature, but you're not in love anymore. You know what I'm saying? And because they're not doing any of the things anymore. And, and, and what if like we were sitting down, what if like Jacob and, and Kenneth, you know, the, the fiance, 68 days, whatever everybody's cheering for earlier. What if like I was giving him advice and I was like, look, man, like give her all you got right now. But in about 10 years, you, you ain't got to do a whole lot of that. You don't have to like have good conversations with her. You really don't even need to like plan creative dates with her anymore. You don't need to throw any game at her anymore after about 10 years. It's all good. You got her. <laughs> Y'all locked up. You know, you don't need to do any of that anymore. I think Jacob would look at me and be like, I appreciate the advice, but I don't think that's good advice. <laughs> you know, like, like here's what I've come to find out. If I quit doing the things that I once did in my relationship with my wife in order to help her become my wife, then I'm not going to have much of a relationship with my wife, all right? Like how I started the relationship, flirting and conversing and serving and all of this stuff, is how I'm going to keep the relationship. You know what I'm saying? And the reason why I start there tonight is because I think that we've come in here, and, and when it comes to our relationships, oftentimes we can get a little bit confused. And now we're not talking about romantic relationships, but a side note, you need to be careful how you attract people because how you attract them is how you got to keep them. That's for somebody here tonight. Anyway, we're not talking about romantic relationships. We're talking about 
the relationship of all relationships. We're talking about your relationship with God tonight. And here's what I know to be true, that, that for many people, they will have a relationship with God like this. Some of you come in here, when it comes to your relationship with God, I want you to kind of think about that real quick. What does your relationship with God look like? How did it start? How's it going? That sort of thing. And for a lot of people, they'll, they'll come in here tonight and, and, and you'll be listening to this message and, and your relationship with God will be like this. Well, I came to God when I was ready. And, you know, I, I, I got some things right in my life and I kind, of, and I kind of cleaned my act up and I went to a church or I started following this person on TikTok or I started listening to this person on Instagram and I, and I just kind of got some things together and, and I came to God when I was ready. And then I made a decision to follow God. And, and kind of by my muscle and my self-determination and by my grit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish my faith as well. And I'm just going to manage my morality and be the best me I can be. And that's your relationship with God. So a lot of people, they start a relationship with God that's built on their own efforts and their own decisions, which it keeps you in control of the relationship. Kind of you're at the steering wheel of the relationship with you and God. But what happens when you crash your life? Because we all do that from time to time. Does God leave when you crash your life? Like if you earned your relationship with God, then you can lose it too. Now, if that's how your relationship with God is built, it, it can drive this deep sense of like, I don't know if I'm in. I don't know if I'm good with God. This deep sense of insecurity spiritually. And a lot of people, they, they will have this psychological battle waking up daily, especially if they've had a weekend romp or some sort of crazy outing or whatever it is, or just a season where you're just struggling. Like oftentimes you can think like, oh my goodness, maybe God was with me when things were going good, but now things are going bad. I don't think God's with me anymore. I don't know. Like if you start a relationship with God based upon your efforts, then you can also lose your relationship with God based upon your performance. But if you start a relationship with God based upon putting your faith in his grace, then this is something altogether different. Like, like here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is the one that begins a relationship with you, not, you, not the other way around. The Bible teaches this, that God is the one that begins the relationship. He's the initiator. God is also the sustainer of the relationship, and he is the one that will complete the relationship. That's what the scripture teaches, that he who began a good work in you will finish it unto the day of completion. That God is one that is after a relationship with all of us, but it's important that we understand the way that he works. And so we're in this, this series called Galatians, and we're talking about live, living a life of freedom. And, and we've been walking verse by verse through this book, and, and what we've been kind of rehearsing every time that we've opened up Galatians is the gospel. Like, like we, Paul, the guy that wrote this book, he just keeps talking about the gospel. And in the gospel, we've said this, it's the main message of the Bible. The gospel is the message of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension and his soon return and how that impacts our life, that the gospel tells us this, that we didn't begin a relationship with God, God initiated the relationship with us. Even while we were yet rebels and running away from God, God said, hey, I still want you. I want you so bad and I love you so much that I'm gonna give my only son to die for you and to pay the penalty of your sin. And the gospel teaches this, that when you respond to that opportunity and that relationship, God gives us his spirit and his spirit 
Spirit, it secures us and it seals us and it empowers us and sustains us in the highs and lows of all of our dysfunction. And God says, I'm not going to quit you even when you quit me. I'm not going to be faithless against you even when you're faithless against me. That God says, I will be faithful till the end and I will welcome you into my arms in the next life. And the gospel is the most important, it's the most amazing, it's the greatest message that has ever been told and it is the greatest news that you can ever begin to deal with in your life because it impacts everything in your life. That the gospel, the grace of God is how you start a relationship with God. And the gospel and the grace of God is how you keep going in a relationship with God. If you, if you take a note that I titled this message, how it started and how it's going. How it started and how it's going. And I want to ask you some questions, or God's word is going to ask us some questions. I want to point you to a case study. I want to talk about the curse that's on us all and how we can be delivered from that curse before we leave tonight. Uh, Paul, again, he's the guy that wrote this book. Paul's one of the greatest theologians in all of Christianity. And Paul, he's writing this letter to a group of churches. It's a region called Galatia. And he had gone on this church planting spree, and he had started a few churches in this region. And they had got some things twisted about the gospel that Paul had preached or the good news that he had presented to them. And they also got it twisted about who Paul is. And so they were questioning whether or not Paul had the authority to do the things that he was doing. And they were questioning the message that Paul was preaching. And so Paul's writing to this group of churches. It's the oldest letter in the New Testament. And he's trying to correct some things that they gotten twisted. And Paul, he's a little bit angry. And you're going to see it in the tone that he's writing in these next few verses. Here's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, O foolish Galatians. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, oh, foolish Galatians. And he says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. So Paul, he's looking back to when he showed up and he said, hey, remember, remember guys, remember how we started this whole thing? We started this whole thing with me preaching to you, not the rules, not all of the law, not all of the religion rituals. We started with this thing with me preaching to you, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul's saying, I painted such a verbal picture that it was as if you were there the day that he was crucified. Uh, we just celebrated a holiday called Good Friday. I don't know if you know what that is, but a Good Friday is not just a day off from work. It's a day where we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, it's crazy that we call it Good Friday because it's about the execution of, of the greatest person that ever existed. And we call it good. Why do we call it good? Well, because it was on Good Friday that Jesus Christ died and that is how he brought salvation to humanity. I, I was in Louisiana on Friday, down in the south, getting some gumbo, some etouffee. It was awesome. And I went down there because a church had called me and said, hey, could you come preach at our church a Good Friday message? Now, some of y'all have seen this before, but I have this message where I literally build a cross while I'm preaching about the cross. It's about as vivid of a picture of the crucifixion of Christ that I know how to paint. It's one of these messages where there's not any humor, it's one of these messages where it's just fact after fact after fact and the implications of Jesus' death on the cross. And it's one of these messages that, that, that sometimes when I'm doing this, I'll, I'll present some, some speech or some truth or whatever it is, and you can almost feel the emotional state in the room. And it's one of these messages where everyone is a little bit undone and a little bit somber because they're brought close to the truth that God sent his only begotten son to die brutally on a cross. 
Now, the reason why Paul preached this message, the reason why we still preach this message today is because this is the truth that once it moves into your heart and it grips your heart, it changes the heart of a man. That it is the power of the cross that the world calls the foolishness of the cross, but it presents the wisdom of God in a way that says God works in tremendous ways that he can take a cross and he can curve it into a salvation. That God can take a crucifixion and then he can bring about a resurrection that we celebrated yesterday and all of our past, or Sunday and all of our pastels and eggs and all of that kind of stuff. That God has this way of taking something deplorable, something terrible, and he can turn it. And he can bring about the most beautiful of things. And Paul, he's saying, when I came to you, that's what we built this whole thing on. That's how we started. And so he's coming out there next tonight. He says, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Don't y'all remember what we talked about? Don't y'all remember me up there hacking this wood and preaching this cross? I don't know if that's what he did, but don't y'all remember? And he's saying that we built this thing. We started this thing on Christ and him crucified We didn't even talk about the religious stuff yet. We didn't even talk about all that stuff that y'all are confused about yet. He goes on. He keeps asking the questions. He's interrogating them a little bit. He says this in verse 2. He says this. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He says again, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down. The questions, the questions. Paul's rattling off about six different questions, and he's basically asking them this. Why do you think your relationship with God is sustained differently than the way that it started? He's saying you, you started by putting your faith in the, in the miraculous work of salvation that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Why do you think that you walk by faith any differently? It started with you putting your faith in God, and it's got to keep going by you keeping your faith in God. And Paul, man, he's driving this nail into the board of our belief. He's saying it's by faith that you're saved, not of your works. He's saying it's by faith that you're sustained, not of your efforts. It's by faith that you're secured. That another author, he would write in the New Testament that without faith, listen, listen, don't miss this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You you cannot please God without faith. Many of you are trying to do things and white knuckling in your spirituality and you're trying to make things happen in your own strength. And without faith, listen, it's impossible to please God. So maybe, maybe you've come in here and you're, you're something like, like I, I've been in my life where I'm like, yeah, man, I gotta have faith, faith. Man, one, two, three, faith, you know? Like, like we gotta have faith. I'm gonna get that faith, you know? And then, and then you leave here and you'll be like out in the lobby space, like, yeah, we just gotta have faith. You slapping each other in the head, gotta have faith, you know? Just motivate, faith, faith, you know? Faith tattoo, faith. And then somebody says, what's faith? And you're like, it's faith, you know. It's like the word my daughter made up when she was four. She made up this word, charp. We're drinking root beer. She took a sip and said, ooh, daddy, that's charp. <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, what's charp? She goes, you know, it's charp. I said, you said, you said charp? She said, yeah, it's charp. I said, what, what, what's charp, baby? She goes, you know, it's charp. I said, yeah, that root beer is charp. 
And a lot of us, when it comes to faith, we, we just don't know what it is. Well, let me give you a definition if you're taking notes of what faith is. If faith is so important, what is it? If we can't, be, if we can't please God without faith, what is it? Well, here's a good definition of faith. Faith is believing God's word and acting upon it. No matter how I feel, that's big, because God promises a good result. Faith is believing in God's word and acting upon it. Faith without works is dead, the Bible says. No matter how I feel, your faith has to inform your feelings, not the other way around. It's I will trust God's word, I will trust his way, I will trust his wisdom, not my feelings, not my reasoning, because God promises a good result. And many Christians, and I've been this Christian, have received the salvation of God by his grace, and then we've left that moment where we're like, I'm forgiven by God. His grace is alive in my life, and we left that moment, and then we stepped into seasons where we thought we had to struggle to earn God's favor. Like, like that's, that's ludicrous when you understand what Christ has done for you. Like, think about it this way. If my daughter woke up this morning, my 10-year-old, and she comes into my room, and she's like, Daddy, 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 um, I made my bed. I made breakfast for everybody. Am I a glover today? I'd be like, what, what do you mean? Like, did... That I've done, I've done all the things that are good. I, I just don't feel Glover today. Am I Glover today? I look at her like, this homeschool thing ain't working, baby. Like, we need to do something else, you know? I don't know what's going on. And I would look at her with kind of this puzzled look because I would, I would need to remind her, baby, but you're my child. You don't have to earn the right to be my child. And many of you, you need to hear this. If you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you don't have to prove and earn and work to be his child. You're his child. And so my, my kids, they, they get this. We, have, we don't have a perfect home, but we have a loving home. And they never have to earn their right standing before me. Oftentimes I'll ask them before they drift off to sleep at night, do you know why daddy loves you? And they'll give me answers, and I just remind them, it's not because of anything that you do. It's because of who you are. Because if they think that they have to earn my love, then by default, they could lose my love. Listen, you cannot earn God's love, nor can you lose his love, but by faith, you receive his love. And Paul's questioning them because they wanted to add all of these rules to what it means to be a Christian. And in verse 3, he says, are you foolish? Now, when Paul says, are you foolish, this doesn't really translate into our culture, but there's two main lanes of what the fool is in the Bible. The fool is, uh, first of all, somebody that doesn't understand how things are connected. You know, and the Bible talks a lot about wisdom, and wisdom is that you know facts, but you also know how to work them out. And the fool is somebody that, that doesn't understand that, that this affects the that. The fool is somebody that thinks that, I, that yeah, yeah, I got, I got grace and I got forgiveness and I got salvation, but, but now I've got to do so all these other things and all these other rituals and all these other religious things. Then I'll, then I'll really be right before God. And, and Paul said, no, 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 no you're, you're, you're playing the fool. And the fool also, according to the biblical definition, is somebody who says in his heart, there is no God. That Paul's saying that when you add things 
to your faith, thinking that those things is what makes you right before God, you are living as if there is no God because the biblical God is a God of grace. The biblical God is a God who says you don't have to earn your, your right standing. In fact, you cannot earn your right standing before me. And Paul's saying, you're playing the fool. He says, are you, are you so foolish? He says, having begun, verse three, he says, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He's saying, you, you started in the spirit. Do you think that you follow Jesus by all of your works? And he's saying, no, no, no. The spirit is the thing that fuels your transformation in life. Paul says it elsewhere in Colossians 2, 6, very simply, he says, just as you receive Jesus Christ, so walk in him. And the way that we receive Jesus Christ is by putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, believing that he rose from the grave, believing that he's the Lord of all lords. And what Paul says is that that's also how you walk in Christ. How it started was by faith. How it's going is by faith. Paul says to another church, he says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, we live, we live by faith, not by sight. Like Paul, he's driving this truth over and over and over. And I think that there's this tendency in all of us to want to complicate Christianity. Like, like we want to come to Christ by, you know, by the free gift of God, but then we want to begin to start complicating. Well, did you do this? Did you have this experience? Did you go there? Did you do this? Are you doing this? And all of these things, and we can make our relationship with God about all of the things. And all those things, some of them are good, but those aren't the things that transform your life. It's the power of God that transforms your life. And we live not by sight, not by our doing, not by our strength, but by the Spirit of God and by faith. Christianity is simple. Faith is how you start, and faith is how you go. See, the doorway to freedom is Christ, and the pathway to freedom is faith in Christ the gospel, we've said this, it's not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. See, it's by faith that you say, I believe Jesus died for my sins. And it's by faith that you say, I believe that I can die to myself. It's by faith that, that you place your trust and your hope and, and, and your, your, your dependence upon Jesus and he saves you. And it's the same faith that you put in Christ to deliver you from the power of sin. It's by faith that you go to Christ and say, God, would you, would you take this lust away from me? It's by faith that you go to Christ and say, God, I'm so anxious that I'm gnawing my fingernails to the skin on my fingers. And would, God, would you help me to take captive every thought? It's by faith that you go to God and say, God, I'm in a season in a pit of depression. Would you be with me as I work towards freedom from this thing. It's by faith that you go to God and say, God, I don't want to look at porn. I need you to give me the power to say no to my porn addiction. It's by faith that you say to God, God, I, I don't want to be codependent upon men or women or upon people. God, I, I want to be accepted and loved by you. It's by faith. The way that you receive salvation is the way that you walk out your salvation. It's by faith in the grace of God. And Paul, he's questioning this church tonight and he's questioning all of us. And the questions are meant to challenge our tendency to make our salvation about our self-reliance. You are not strong enough to save you and you are not strong enough to sustain you. 
You will need God to follow him. You can't do it on your own. So, so don't, don't complicate this thing, man. Christianity, it's simple. How it started is by faith, and how it's going is by faith. It's not I need Jesus for salvation and nothing else for the rest of my life. It's I need Jesus every day. God's spirit is the fuel in the engine of our transformation. And faith is you turning the key over to start it. I believe that God is going to transform me. That's what you're saying. I believe that he's going to work in my life. I believe that he's going to help me be free. I believe that I'm not going to be the same man that I am at 25 that God's going to form and transform me into at 55. I believe I'm going to get free from some things in my 20s. I believe I'm going to get free from some bitterness in my 30s. I believe I'm going to get free from some lustful tendencies. I believe I'm going to get free from some self-image issues. I'm going to get free from these things by faith. And faith is you turning the key over, and it's you saying, I'm not going to get where I need to get in my own strength. And Paul, he's just questioning, like, why, why, would, you, why would you start in the Spirit and then start living by all of these, all of your own strength? Don't do, he's like saying, don't do that. <laughs> That's not how this thing works. He goes on, he gives an example in verse 6. He says, just as Abraham, and he quotes from the Old Testament, Abraham's story is locked in Genesis First book of the Bible. He says, just as Abraham, and he says, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He says, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, if you're new to the Bible, Gentiles just, just means people that aren't Jewish. He says, he's saying that foreseeing that God would justify or, or give right standing to all of the people in the world by faith. He says he preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you write this down. The case study. The case study. Paul's using a guy named Abraham as a case study of this truth. And now this is very strategic for Paul because the, the, the battle that's going on are, are people that, that are Jewish you know, that's their heritage. They've come into these Galatian churches and they're saying, well, well you, you've got to be a Jew in, in order to be a Christian too. And so like there, there's this talk of like circumcision, which always makes Gentile guys nervous, you know, and you, if you don't know what that is, sorry. Anyway, and so there's this talk of that. There's this talk of like, you can't eat bacon and be right with God, which makes all of us kind of upset. And so like, there's just all of this like Jewish things and, and they're saying that you've got to do all of these things. And they would point back to, but you know, the reason why we could do all those things is because, you know, Abraham, he did all those things. And Paul's using Abraham, their guy. And Abraham was their guy, y'all. Like Abraham. Like this is the guy. Like, like they would sit around and they would talk and, and they would talk about this person, this person. They'd be like, but, but y'all remember when Abraham, <laughs> you know, oh, Abraham. They would sing a song Abraham. They're like, Abraham's like my daddy's 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 daddy, daddy. On my mama's side's daddy's dad. That's Abraham, you know. And like what Abraham says, what he did, that's what we're going to do. And so Paul's using their guy Abraham and he's using Abraham to bring clarity to what he's teaching. And he's like, hey guys, y'all remember? Y'all remember Abraham? They're like, oh yeah, we know Abraham. And then he rehearses some of the verses of how Abraham got right with God. And he says this very clearly. He says, Abraham was declared righteous before he did any of the demands of God. Like, like in the Bible, there's this pattern that deliverance comes first from God and then the demands of God come. 
You have this pattern where God, he, he strikes up a covenant, he enters in a relationship, and then commandments come. And there's this pattern that God's saying, you don't have to obey in order to be accepted by me. You are accepted by me, and then that drives your grace-driven obedience. That there's this pattern, and Paul's reminding them, listen, Abraham, not because he did anything for God, but because he believed in God, he was declared righteous. It says there in verse 6, he quotes, he says, Abraham, he, he believed. Now, this word believe, I think that it could get a little watered down in our, in our culture. Like, you know, somebody say, well, I, I believe, you know, I believe in that. And you say, well, what do you, what do you mean by you believe in that? And I think sometimes we can just kind of lightly believe in something, and then we can really believe in something, and, and we just have this one word, believe. Well, biblically, when it says that Abraham believed in God, it's, it's he put his full trust on God. It's he leaned on God. If I, if I could pick my feet up and show you and not, you know, crash this table and all that stuff, that's, that's what he's saying. It's like he trustfalled on God, right? And, and he really, he believed. He, if he's diving into the pool of a relationship with God, he's, you know, he's can opener. Like he's going in. Like no, no dipping the toe in. He's in a relationship with God. He's all in. Do you believe God like that? It's not, it's not, a, it's not like, a, yeah, I understand some things, and so therefore I believe. You know, if you would ask Abraham, like, what do you mean you believed God? Abraham wouldn't have said, well, you know, I, I had some conversations with, with some of my friends in Ur, and, and we talked about, you know, that's where he's from, and we talked about, like, uh, you know, some logical things and rational things, and we're like stars and, and, you know, and then the mountains, and, like, we looked at goats, and we were just trying to, like, how did all this get here? And we came to this conclusion. And so I just kind of have this, like, you know, it was belief. That's not what Abraham's talking about. If you were to ask Abraham, like, how do you, when you believe in God, what do you mean by that? He, he's not saying, well, you know, I got together around the campfire one night with, with my wife, Sarah, and, and Hagar was there. She's fine. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I was, like, with some other people, and, and we started talking about God, and I just really felt good. And, like, I just, and here's, you know, Abraham, you know, what if he's, and I just, kinda, I, just, I just got good vibes around the campfire. We was talking about God, and it's like theology, and it's just music, and it just, it was, you know, it just kind of like dancing, like spirits like this, you know. And, and like, that's not what Abraham's talking about. When he says he believed in God, when we look at the life of Abraham, here's how it played out. He left everything to follow God. He didn't know where he was going, but he knew who was directing his steps. He didn't have to have it all figured out, but he knew who he was all about, and it was God. Listen, if you come in here and, and you, you would say you believe in God, I think most everybody here would say, yeah, I have some sort of belief in God. But does that mean to you, does that mean that you just, you have this intellectual assent that you, you know, you understand some things, and so, you know, like you, you can put, you know, A, B, and C together, and, and so you just kind of like, you can explain some things up here? Others of you, maybe it's like, man, yeah, I believe. Like, I just believe. It just feels so good. Like, I went to Easter on Sunday, and, and like, it just felt good, you know? It just felt good about being in, in church, you know? And I just like the way I feel. Is that what you mean by belief? And if I just described your belief in God, I would say that, that your belief in God is not based on a biblical definition of belief. That when it says that Abraham believed God, it means he put his trust in God. It means that he put his faith in God. It means that, God, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm all about you. That I think faith and belief, it can happen two different ways for people. It can happen in an instant for some. Like some of you, you can look back at a moment, you can be like, man, I was at this place, I was drinking this thing, and I was with these people, and I was wearing this shirt, 
and this person said this to me, or I heard this sermon, or, or, I, or I read this verse, and it was like, bam, like God just, like I was like, God, I need you, you know? And next day I was crying and praying, and they had baptisms there, and I didn't even know what that meant, but I got in the water, you know? And that's kind of your belief story. And some of you, man, it happened just like that. Others of you, probably the majority of you and me, it was, man, I, I didn't really understand a lot of things, but I, I took a step. And, and then I learned some more things, and I was like, yeah, 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 and I took a step. And then, and then, I, and I, I met some people, and we started having some conversations, and, and I took a step. And then somebody gave me a Bible, and they're like, "Hey, you should read some of these verses." And I took a step. And then somebody was like, "Hey, you should really start like you know following him and, and like living on mission." I took a step, and then I look up over time, and I'm like, "Oh, I believe in this." One step at a time, I've now arrived at a place where I'd say, "Man, I believe God." And this is what. Paul's pointing to. He's saying, Abraham, he believed God. He put his full trust in God. Have you done that? Is that how you believe God? And one of the most glorious things that happens when we believe God, it says here in verse 6, it says that it was accounted to, to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Like what made Abraham right with God was his faith in God. It was nothing else. This word accounted, it it's literally means that you assess the facts. It's not some nebulous, like, you know, like I was just feeling the other day, and, and I feel righteous today. No, no like it's, it's this word, that's, it's an accounting word. It's literally I, I counted, I computed, I calculated. It's an accounting term. It, it's, it, it would describe the, you know, I had an accountant call me a couple weeks ago, my CPA. And um, even when I talk about accounting, it kind of makes me shudder a little bit right now, you know. I don't know how your tax season was this week. But mine wasn't enjoyable, okay? You know, and it's the account saying, hey, I've, I've looked at the numbers and you owe a lot of money this year, you know? And I'm like, how did, how did this happen, you know? And, and I don't want to get into all of that and make some statement that I'll regret later. But here's the point. He looked at my account and he said that you have to pay X amount of millions of dollars. I'm just kidding. You have to pay X amount of dollars or your account won't be settled, you'll be in debt to the, to the IRS. Like, talk about your relationship with God real quick. Is your relationship with God settled because of your faith in God? Again, I hired a CPA to settle my accounts with the IRS because if they audit me, it'll show that my account hasn't been settled. What if, what if we audited your relationship with God? Would your accounts be settled have you settled your accounts with God? Listen, God doesn't require taxes. He requires righteousness. Are you righteous? Not are you good, are you righteous? See, I think sometimes we think that we're like on this trajectory to get to righteous and we're just kind of a good person in between, you know? And we just think, you know what, like I'm not perfect, but I'm, but I'm not bad, you know? And we start like looking around and like we hang out with people and we always have like a few friends that we follow on social media that always make us feel better about ourselves. We're like, you know, I'm not bad. You know, I'm a pretty good person, especially compared to that brother, you know? And, and then we also have other people in our life that are like kind of goal setters for us. Like, you know, one day I'm gonna be like Mrs. Such and Such. But, but in the meantime, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not, you know, that's not the question. Are you righteous? Many would say, I'm good, but I'm not righteous. Because righteous implies that you're perfect. And I don't think any of us would pretend for a moment that we're perfect. 
And all we would have to do is shadow you till the end of the night and find out that you're not. That none of us are perfect. But listen, here's the problem. In order for you to be in a right relationship with God, you have to have perfect righteousness. How do we get that? Well, the Bible teaches that the only way that you could have a right relationship with God is by believing in God, is by putting your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That Abraham, that's what he did. He believed, and God wrote a check for his righteousness. And when Christ showed up on the scene and died on the cross, that was the payment that allowed the check to clear. That if Jesus never came, then the check of righteousness that God wrote to Abraham, it would have bounced. But Jesus is the payment that satisfies. He's the one that can settle the account of your debt that you owe before a holy and righteous God. And the only way you can appropriate that settlement is by faith. And that's what Abraham did. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying that what makes you right with God is what God did for you. It's not your tradition. It's not your religion. It's not your goodness or lack thereof. It's Jesus you must believe in Christ to be made righteous. And this is how you start a relationship with Christ. And Paul's working hard to prove that this is how you keep a relationship going. How it started by faith, how it's going by faith. He goes on, he says this in verse 10. He says, for as many of us, or excuse me, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse for it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Again, he's using their Old Testament against them. He says this in verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For, he says this, the just shall live by faith. He says, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down, the curse. The curse. Paul, he's saying that what you live by is what you die, what you die by. Like if you live by the law, which stands for this system basically of, of self-proving. You know, the law, you can think of, we all kind of have a law that we live by, a code. And we, we think, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be a good person. I'll be, I'll be good before God. And, and what Paul's saying is that if you, if you live by the law or by your personal code of self-proving, listen, then you will die trying to prove yourself. And you will fall short of that standard every time. Verse 10, he says this. He says, cursed is everyone who does not continue in the law. The law, it's this thing, of, of, a list of do's and don'ts that you have to do in order to be right with God. And, and again, the standard in order to have right standing before God is perfection. So inevitably, the law is going to expose you. <laughs> if I give you a list of things to do, inevitably, you're not going to do them perfect. Like the law, it exists like an x-ray. Like it just simply reveals what's broken, but it has no power to heal. I told y'all a, a few minutes ago that my, my wife and I, we built our relationship on doing fun things and, and making memories. And so uh, we'd been married about a year and I had a, an opportunity to go ride a four-wheeler. And I'm not a big four-wheeler person, but I'm like, this will be great. And it was a racing four-wheeler. And you know, like every guy for the most part, like when we hear the sound of an engine and we can make it go, rah, 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 like we like that, you know? And so I'm like, we're gonna get on the four-wheeler and I'm like, you know, it's gonna be awesome. And, and then we go out and we ride on this four-wheeler and she's like hanging on to me tight. And I've got my bae hanging on to me and her hair is flowing, you know, and I'm, rah, rah, you know, it's awesome, you know? We're making memories. It's great, it's romantic, it's awesome. Well, we get ready to, to go back to the, the place where we were, 
keeping the four-wheeler, and I was like, one more time, I'm just going to gas it. And we're standing still, and I gas it, and it goes up like this, and we go off the back. I'm like, oh, wow, we had a wreck. That was great. And, and I'm fine because I'm built a little different than my wife, but she's a little more fragile. Guys, ladies are more fragile, just to let you know. Anyway, and so she falls, and she starts, some of y'all know this story, but she starts going, oh, my back, my back. And, and she, long story short, she broke her back. We go to the hospital. They give an x-ray and they say, the T11 and T12, it's been fractured. Now, what if I, I told you that I was like, you know what, babe, I, I did you wrong. I'm going I'm to do you right now. I'm going to get this all straightened out. And I went to the doctor. I was like, hey, doctor, how much is that x-ray? And he's like, it's 75000 something like that. And, and so I'm like, all right, I'm going to buy the whole machine because I'm going to take it home. And I, I got an idea. I'm, I'm just going to x-ray my wife every day. And I think, I think that'll help her get better. Now, now, my wife, she would probably, like, once I presented the plan, she'd be like, that's not a good plan. You, you can't x-ray somebody unto healing. All the x-ray does is just simply reveal what's broken. What makes you think that you can keep studying the x-ray, you can keep taking the x-ray, you can keep doing the x-ray, and that that's going to get you better? The x-ray doesn't heal you. And the reason why I share that with you is because a lot of you think that you've got to study the Bible and you've got to do all of its commands and you've got to walk it out and that you've got to go, go and just grit and grind and just make this thing happen. And you're looking to the rules of God to give you a right relationship with God. And what God is teaching in his word is that the law is given to reveal your need for the grace of God. And that the scripture, it is our pathway to find Christ. And it governs our life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't read this thing. But it, is, it exists solely so that you can find a right relationship with God and then live in light of that right relationship with God and walk in with him in a way that's, that's worthy of the gospel that you've received. But the law, it doesn't heal. God's grace heals that it's grace that heals our broken hearts, not more rules. That's why Paul says that no one is made right with God by the rules. You have to live by faith. Faith is how it started in a relationship with God. And faith is how it's going in a relationship with God. And if you look to any other thing than God's grace as to why you will be made right before God, then you're trying to play God ultimately and circumvent the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that we have right relationship with God. The Bible's teaching us tonight. Paul's teaching us tonight through the centuries. He's speaking out and saying, you are under sin's curse. And nothing can make you right except for the grace of God. That's why he finishes with these few verses in this section. In verse 13, it says, Christ, he's redeemed us from the curse of the law, this is good news, ladies and gentlemen. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, a quote from Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that's all of us, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, note this, through faith. Paul, again, he's, he's representing the gospel. He's connecting what he's already said. He said that you will be accounted, you will be calculated as righteous 
He's connecting that statement to the work of Jesus here in verse 13. Because Christ, he says, has redeemed you. This word redeem is a payment. It means that you've been ransomed. That he's connecting that, that you are accounted righteous by faith because Jesus paid for your sin. And he's using this word redemption. He's saying Jesus paid it all. I don't know if you've ever sang that old song, that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. And the refrain of that song just simply says, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Can you declare that with confidence? Paul says the way that Jesus did this is the most bizarre, crazy, mysterious thing I can ever imagine. The way that Christ did this was not by removing our curse, but listen, by taking our place and becoming our curse. The way that Jesus redeemed us was by being put in our place. What does that mean? Salvation is so much more than forgiveness. Salvation means that Jesus took our place so that we could have his right standing before God. Jesus stepped into and he became our curse so that we could become sons and daughters of the living God. That salvation isn't just forgiveness of sins. It's not just like a do-over. It's not a mulligan of morality where you just kind of you know, brush the sin off of your, 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 your britches and you just get up and you just start going. The, that salvation isn't just about you kind of having like, I'm gonna fresh start and I'm gonna do better. Salvation is you getting Christ's status before God. That when you put your faith in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' righteousness. It is finished, y'all. That when we believe in Christ, we don't have to earn anything else. We have it all. We just simply walk in the freedom of being loved by an almighty God in spite of our sin. Why? Because we put our faith in Jesus and he became a curse. He that knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And when we put our faith in Christ, this is what happens. One more question tonight. When God looks at you, what does he see? Does he see someone that's striving, trying to prove to the world, prove to yourself, that you're worthy, that you're loved? Or does he see someone resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross that proves to the world and proves to yourself that you're loved? When, when God looks at you, what does he see? Or maybe the better question is to ask, who does he see? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that by faith, when you look at us, we can be covered in the righteousness of Christ. So that when you look at us, you, you don't even see our blemishes and our stains and our sin, but you see your son's righteousness. Thank you for that. God, that if we put our faith and trust in you, you don't see our abortion. You don't see our porn issue. You don't see our, our weekend rop that we had. You, didn't see, you don't see that one night stand. You don't see us in our sin and all of our tarnish and all of our, our stains. But when we put our faith in Christ, you see us white as snow. 
I don't know how all that works, but I want it. God, I don't, I don't know how you can, you can look at me and see your son, but I, but I trust in the finished work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And God, I pray that, that we would see that, that the reason why Jesus had to die is because we're sinners. That would creating us a, a brokenness of heart, but an openness to receive forgiveness and redemption and to receive Christ's righteousness. And God, I pray from that place of faith, receiving your grace, that's how we would follow you. And that we would follow you as, as beloved children of the almighty God and that you would change us that how we start a relationship with you is by grace through faith and how we keep a relationship going with you is by grace through faith. And help us to do that. In Christ's name I pray, amen.